0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody, today's episode of Other People is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of digital audiobooks. Over at Audible, there are hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from in a wide variety of genres. And uh, it's a great way to listen to books. If you're in your car on the way to work, if you've got your headphones on, you're on the subway, if uh, you're too lazy to pick up a book and read it, you know, with your eyes in the traditional manner, you can have someone read it to you. It's kind of nice. Are you an insomniac? Maybe you can listen to an audio book in the middle of the night while your partner sleeps peacefully. Just go to audibletrial.com slash other people. That's audibletrial.com slash other people. Spell it out, other, and then P-E-O-P-L-E, the traditional way. Audibletrial.com slash other people. Get yourself a free audiobook on the podcast. These are audio books, ladies and gentlemen. You can listen to them. Go and get some. Oh, my God.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful.
1: Jesus, <laughs> what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing.
0: Just one person at just one time. Oh, right. Okay, right. everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is making you stop for a moment to contemplate. This is making me sit in front of a microphone. How's it going? Hope you're doing well. My name is Brad Listy. I'm here in Los Angeles as usual. Have a great show for you today. Josh Rabb is my guest. He's the founder of uh, the Newer York Press. The Newer York. Uh, It's an experimental literary publisher based right here in LA. Josh and I are going to be talking momentarily. We had a good conversation. Uh, I was out in the desert this past weekend. It was my wife's birthday. I took her out there to uh, celebrate and to relax a little bit. And uh, it just so happened that her birthday coincided with Easter and uh, with Coachella, the music festival. The second phase of Coachella. And, you know, it wasn't actually her birthday on Easter or on Coachella. Her birthday is the 17th. Uh, So it was more like her birthday weekend. It's just the way that the calendar fell. Is what I'm saying. So uh, there we were at this hotel out in Palm Springs. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of people wandering around in their Coachella uniforms. Girls in their uh, leather shorts with the uh, flowered headdresses. And the guys in their fedoras. I don't know. You know, but like the, the, the Palm Springs, it's not my favorite place. I don't know what, I never know what to do when I'm there. I'm not a golfer. I don't play golf. It's hot. You know, and then you're at a hotel. I'm pale. My skin, it does not love the sun. I don't like to lie around in the sun or or even be exposed. <laughs> I'm terrified of the sun. I want to be under an umbrella. But here's the thing, okay? Uh, I also don't like hotel pools. even with the umbrella. I don't want to get a lounge chair and then you're sitting there and then you're in this, like, circle around this pool and everyone's essentially staring at everyone else from behind their sunglasses and then you have people uh, getting drunk and they're making noise while you're trying to lie there and then uh, people are ordering food and they're eating this food in the hot sun. There's nothing less appealing... Than uh, like fish tacos in sunlight, <laughs> you know, ninety five degree heat, and you've got this piece of fish wrapped in a tortilla. It's awful. It should not be happening. And then you know the whole Coachella thing. I don't know. I can't help but make fun of it. It's like this big music festival that has become over time. I think in its you know in in its origins it was a good thing. But over time, it's become, uh, for Los Angeles people anyway, a kind of fashion event. You'd think these people are at a runway show going out to this uh, music festival. And I know for a fact that there are celebrities who hire stylists specifically for Coachella to get them styled to be at this thing. You know, it seems to defeat the purpose of a music festival from my perspective it perverts it and I say this having never gone (laughs) I have no desire to go and yet I bet had I gone and had I seen a good show I would have enjoyed it because I do love music and I do love uh, live music I love the live music experience this is my problem I'm always a dichotomy and I think my wife and I uh, we basically feel the same way and uh, part of me has to wonder are we just getting old I think we're old this is what's happening and I don't want to be old and cranky but I also don't want to be that old person at Coachella who's hanging on (laughs) there were some of those at the hotel too like these like mid 40s early 50s wearing the same costumes you know there's something sad about that I'm all for being young at heart but you gotta know when to let something go And you know, I'm at the point where if I'm going to a concert, I want it to be in a small, intimate venue. Or if I'm at some sort of larger venue, uh, I want VIP passes. I want backstage access. I don't want to be squeezed in among thousands of sweaty, drunk people. Otherwise, I'd rather stay home. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? I just want to be treated like royalty, and I want to have a special box away from people where I can uh, hang out. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. And the whole fashion thing and the desert, you know, There's something about that. Like leave, like leave the desert alone. That's what I kept thinking when I was out there. We're not meant to be out there. People are not, or if we are out there, then we should be camping or living in uh, caves or teepees, like the uh, the Navajos or the—is that right? The Navajo or the Bedouin, <laughs> you know? And and then like all like all of these golf courses and the high end shopping malls in the middle of a wasteland, a lifeless, scorching hot wasteland. It just seems unnatural, uh, you know. Like we're, we're it's like we're creating this artificial world on top of this world that. Just wants to be left alone. Can't we just leave an ecosystem alone is my question. As a species, we just can't do it. We have to be everywhere, imposing our will on ecosystems. We have to put an eyesore uh, in every possible nook and cranny of the planet. I feel bad for the desert. So anyway, it was fun. I had a fun weekend. How's that for a segue? We actually had a good time. And I'm not nearly as cranky as I sound when I'm there, when I'm in it, uh, I always try to make the best of it. And, uh, at, you know, at the very least, it was very nice to get out of the city, uh, for a little while. Uh, my parents watched our daughter, so we got to have a break on that front. That was nice. I hope it was nice. I was trying to do something nice for my wife for her birthday. That was the plan. And you know, I get worked up about that kind of stuff Birthdays, holidays Seems uh, weighted to me I feel like I'm being tested or something As a husband I want to do the right thing I want to make her happy So uh, we went out to the desert We ate some good food Uh, We got a massage That sort of thing We tried to relax, sleep Even though we're both bad sleepers So now uh, I'm back in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm in my office and I'm frantically racing to get this week's shows done because this coming weekend, uh, I'm headed out of town again. Got another, uh, wedding in Louisiana. This is like, it's like every six months at this point, my family's so big, there's no end in sight. <laughs> it's just what we do. We just constantly go to weddings, uh, which is better than the alternative. I do have to say, so, uh, you know, it should be fun it's just the tran you know it's just the uh, getting there and getting home part because we didn't get direct flights which I hate we couldn't get any they were like a thousand dollars so we have to connect in Dallas that's a shitty airport I've been there so many times it's always to connect so we got to do that we've got a kid anybody who has kids you know you don't want to connect even without kids you don't want to connect So, you know, I'll be able to complain about it in detail in next week's monologue. (laughs) So you have that to look forward to. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career It's also The Funniest by A Country Mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today, once again, is Josh Rabb. Uh, I had a really fun time meeting him and talking to him here in the home studio. He's a very bright guy. He's got a lot of energy and uh, he founded the newer York back in 2010. The newer York publishes experimental short fiction. What the fuck was that? That was a dog the newer, Uh the newer York <laughs> publishes experimental short fiction. Uh, but that strives to be uh, accessible rather than obtuse. It's experimental, but it's enjoyable is the point. And uh, the goal uh, for them, I think, is to uh, test boundaries and to try to do some truly new things in the realm of literature so they publish uh, artifacts epistolaries, lists uh, everything from recipes to fake book reviews uh, all sorts of stuff absurdities essentially uh, with the idea of trying to loosen uh, loosen things up in the literary world that's their stated mission not a bad mission i should say and uh you know they publish books which are available nationally they host literary carnivals which include uh, performances word games and uh food and drink and they also have a very active uh internet presence at theneweryork.com so you're going to hear all about it uh momentarily and uh, let's just uh, get on with it this is josh Rabb, the founder of the newer york <laughs>
1: So I think stanzas and paragraphs are kind of fascist, and they force you to think a certain way. They make you see things that certain way. You're like, this is how writing should be. This is how thoughts work. Uh, And what we try to do is screw with the form. So when you open our books, it looks all crazy. Things are upside down. Things are weird, because I think that's how we see things. So for me, the New York is political, because if we get people to read like that and write like that, then they'll start thinking like that and realize things aren't these structured. Like, you don't have to follow the tradition of things. You can kind of open up and not listen
0: yeah i mean there is something i guess inherently political in any communication mm-hmm. literary communication but like you know fascist the paragraph i mean i guess like that's imposed by some sort of
1: i don't actually like, think it's fascist <laughs> like there's no ideology <laughs> or conspiracy <laughs> behind <laughs> it. trying to i was actually <laughs> trying
0: to blame somebody i'm like who the <laughs> fuck did this uh <laughs> um, fucking byron okay so but you know in terms of actually putting stuff up like you haven't been publishing because you feel like what you're saying is too overtly political yeah uh, and then what about like, cause I was talking about this on a recent monologue, you know, the, the sense when you want to pu- put stuff up online, because I, I, I you know, I don't want to be neurotic. I don't want to be, um, you know, so self-serious or worried or whatever that I don't share stuff online, right. you know, like you, you, sh- you shouldn't take yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. but I also worry about quality. I don't want to put stuff up that's wasting people's time, at least of all my own. So, uh, do you ever have those kinds of thoughts? Like, do you ever like get finicky about like sharing stuff online because you don't feel like you've spent enough time on it and then you, you worry about timeliness or you worry about kind of feeding the beast in order to keep people. Interested? I don't write, I don't put a lot of my stuff online cause I'm just afraid of how
1: much, how time consuming that process would be for me to organize my thoughts and then make sure they're good enough to share. And so I have like private Twitters and private Instagrams where I just put like, I just like get the energy out nobody really follows me, but I just get everything out so I can Jump that thing of like, oh, I have a cool idea. I'm going to share it. And then I'm okay with nobody hearing it for now. The New York and the stories I choose.
0: So you'll put stuff up on a Twitter feed with barely anybody following? Yeah. You can do Just that. Just to get it out. You don't have any? There's nothing like, oh, my God, nobody favorited this. I'm... For a while,
1: I was sharing the political stuff on the New York, and then I hired this girl who's helping me with social media, and she was like, nope, you're not going to do that anymore. And I was like, okay, so now I have this private feed where nobody follows.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because people who are expert at that they help you tamp down some of the emotional content of your social media, right?
1: And branding. She's like, she was like, does this have anything to do with literature or the New York? And then for a while, like, I rebelled against her, and I would like it would be like about like the Congo, and I'd be like hashtag experimental
0: democracy, <laughs> and it didn't work out either. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, like that. I mean, it's like kind of like it's it's like the whole thing about uh, you know, uh, inserting political opinion into fiction and like using your characters as kind of a megaphone, which I always liked. It depends. It's like really got to be done delicately because then you can start to see the puppeteer, you know, and I can see right. the author, but then, you know, I mean, it's like, it's sort of like the Anne Rand thing where like, you're like, oh my God, you know, there's <laughs> like a 50 page chunk of text where it's just her like, you know, screeching about uh, objectivism or whatever. But it's like, is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Objective capitalism. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but then, you know, like George Orwell, you know, there are authors who can do that kind of stuff. Well, like uh, Vonnegut can do some of it and but they never talk politics in like nineteen eighty four. It's just he sets the scene. It's all implicit. Yeah, but you know, and so and I think just like, whoa, that's screwed up. Yeah. Now I care about politics. That's actually a really good audio book. Really? Like I, yeah, audio books to me are all about who reads it, mm-hmm. and a lot of them lose me because it's who just, read it. Just some British guy. Yeah, that, you know, and it was just kind of perfect. Yeah. I was on some vacation, and I just like laid by the pool, and, like the sound of Big Brother. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it was like it was like a, it was a good reading. I remember that. Um, that was the last time I, I quote-unquote read that book. It was a, it's a good one. So, is,
1: is listening to an audiobook quote-unquote reading? I think so.
0: If it's a concentrated listen, I mean, I'll take but it.
1: But isn't it just reading? Oh, I guess we can't call it reading either.
0: It's like listening. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, I, can, I consider that I, I, I consumed the book in some way, even if it was read <laughs> to me. I outsourced the actual reading process. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So where are you from? I was born
1: in Montreal, and I grew up in Orlando, and I went to high school in Santa Barbara. Oh, and then shit. I lived in New York for five years, and I just moved here two years ago.
0: Okay. So you're born in Montreal. Are you Canadi- your parents Canadian?
1: My dad's French, and my mom's from the Bronx. Okay. All over. So oh, what,
0: Why'd you move around?
1: Uh, dad moved to Florida to start a business. Dad moved to California to quit the business. And then I went to New York for NYU. Okay. What was it? And you grew up in Santa Barbara? High school in Santa Barbara. That's like Narnia, isn't that it? That fucking
0: amazing. Yeah. We, okay, so that's good to hear. Usually people are like, no, it actually sucked. It actually there was there's parts that suck everywhere. I know, but Santa Barbara's got to be the best quality of life anywhere. I lived in Florida. I went to a Catholic school. It was horrible, and then
1: we went to a bar mitzvah in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And I toured the high school just for fun, just to see what it was about. And my the girl that was, I was shadowing was this beautiful girl, a uh, cheerleader named Keeley. And she was like, and and for history class, we skip history. And her and her friends got in a Tahoe, and we drove to the top of a hill, and they pulled out like a seven-foot bong. And for all of history class, we just smoked on the top of the hill. And then she gave me her glasses. And then I went back to my mom, and I was like, I want to move here. <laughs> They're just all stoned. And then we moved, and I ended up dating Kaylee for a couple months.
0: Oh, my God.
1: When I moved a year later. Santa Barbara. It was awesome. It a dreamland. Santa Barbara
0: High. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's I was uh, – when was I up there? I was up there a while back. I, every time I go there, I'm like, why do I not go here more often? Because it's, like it, it's boring. But, it, but still, yeah, just to be in, like, a, a nice, perfectly – Manicured. Manicured. <laughs> it's like town. a country club it's like a giant country club but the mission and like you know the old buildings mm-hmm. the spanish architecture yeah
1: santa barbara high was like from the 1790s or something it's a good the building of, itself it's beautiful. a good piece of real estate so um your parents are creative folks they are my mom was a nurse and now she's a writer okay she's, she writes poetry it's all all, right. actually awkward she just wrote a, a poetry book called lust and it's it's all like sex poems whoa and so she's touring like Adult shops, and that's where she's doing all her readings. Like she should, Who published it? Uh, I don't even know. What it's small called. press. Yeah. Small press, but she's getting a lot. She was just in New York Daily News for her reading at babeland which is like a big dealer shop, and she's doing a tour <laughs> for all them. Well, that's cool. Your mom, I mean, your parents sound like they're sort of hip. Yeah, and my dad's an artist. He was a physicist, and now he makes art. Really? Yeah. So did he do well, and then like
0: quit his job, and then
1: now he's exactly just, like, throwing clay, and then he's doing pretty well at art too. But he's still in business. He can't leave it. He's doing weird he's all over the place oh my god okay so he's like environmental stuff and then cancer research and then like his art
0: what did he do he's trying to cure cancer
1: he's working on a thing um that it's like a pinprick on your skin and it finds random cancer cells floating around in the blood so before, I just read before they've this. even they're, landed somewhere
0: i just read about their uh in the paper the other day they're talking about how blood tests could be a new way to screen cancer as opposed to doing biopsies exactly and it's it's
1: it's earlier so it's even before something's landed and started to metastasize yeah but they say that the accuracy is not as not quite as as good as the biopsies yet and you don't know where it's going you're like we found one (laughs) there's 10 others like hidden in a crevice somewhere god yeah that's a pretty big feat
0: um so your your dad sounds like a smart dude he's a pretty smart dude yeah okay and then um you went to santa barbara high uh and then you went to new york for a school yeah where'd you go nyu for philosophy and english okay my dad
1: calls me the three hundred thousand dollars spell checker.
0: <laughs> yeah, is that what college? I have a daughter. I'm like, holy shit! How we well, NYU's home? absurd. Yeah, it's but a are, it's all absurd. That's true, especially if you go out of state. But, yeah, UC's uh, cheap. Uh, UC schools, yeah. but they're hard to get into. I, today, in the New York Times, ninety five percent of the elite universities, ninety five percent of applicants at elite universities in the United States are uh, denied. Stanford accepted five percent of applicants last oh year. It's all time low. So it's like the more people like they, we just need more schools. Yeah, it seems like, right? More Ivy Leagues. Oh yeah. Open a new <laughs> Ivy League. Make it big. I want my daughter to have a spot. Um yeah, and make the admissions really lenient. <laughs> open for all, open yeah. door policy. So you go to New
1: York, um fun times. Fun times until yeah, until like senior year when then, I kind of woke up. What do you mean? Uh I just um it's about the time I started the New York and I'm just I just wasn't so sure that New York City was the hub of anything anymore. Like that's where all the buildings were for publishing and that's where a lot of people went to be writers, but I I mean I tried really hard to find those group of kids where we could sit around and like smoke and talk about philosophy and, you know, plan things, but it was it just ended up being like on Friday Saturday night just go to bars. It was kind of like just bars, bars, bars all the time. So my last year there, I just ended up sitting inside, like reading everything I could and realizing that I didn't have to be in New York to do that. I could be yeah, in Southern California.
0: Well, and you know, it sounds kind of familiar. I mean, I think people... That's anywhere though. It, it was my, my wormhole that I found there, my little termite. Yeah. But I mean, in your early twenties, especially if you really want to get serious about books and literature and you want to do something, um, like dual realizations. One... Um, it's, you know, not everybody's there. A lot of people just want to go out on the weekends, right? right. They don't want to have like serious philosophical discussions. Yeah. Um, but also,
1: yeah, I, I think, did that too. It was, I had those fun times, of course,
0: of course. but I mean, like at some point you do, you do that enough. And I think at least if you're like me, like at some point it was like, okay, like where else are we going to go with this? Right. Uh, we've maxed it out. I've done everything I can possibly do with this. I'm not learning anything new. Yeah. Not that it's got to be about learning, but it just, and you go
1: work at a coffee shop all day and then you spend it all on beers and nothing's gained and then you're dead. Yeah.
0: So it's good. I think it's good and healthy that you had that realization. And then, um, the other part of the realization, which I think is uh, something, you know, somewhat debatable is, um, you know, the, uh, the, um, Power or what do you want to call it the influence that New York has as like is yeah, the, the capital of media stigma i don 't know you know is that is the is it the epicenter has that it's really fascist shifted? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you know like because I, I hear you know I, i've 've had that argument because i 've always been out in los angeles i've never lived in New York that you know you can be anywhere you can do stuff anywhere now, but New York you know the media companies still are there. I feel like if you want to get if you want to be on a track to have You know, anything resembling a quote-unquote traditional, big literary career almost seems like you have to do time. But I don't know if that's true anymore. I feel like we just push
1: that. We're just like...
0: It's just... just Some
1: people make it and they happen to be in New York because there's a lot of people in New York. So then we're like, New York works for for writers.
0: Well, I think it works from... Let me put it to you this way. You can be some guy who lives in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska, and if you write a great book... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I think from a networking... Because so much of business generally including publishing as an inside game and it's who you know mm-hmm. and i see this all the time it's like it's so funny like when you start to know publishing a little bit and pay attention to the news and get to know writers and then you see how blurbs work and then you see how like the media coverage work and, and then you vomit and, well, yeah. <laughs> and then you see like who's reviewing who in the new york times book review and you're like wait a minute these two know each other and like yeah. it's all sort of an inside like back scratchy kind of game or it often is that way so I still think New York confers some advantage in that manner. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you feel like it's good that you went to NYU? I'm sure you met a lot of people there.
1: Actually, my one regret is not doing enough networking at the time. Me kind of being, like, a 90-year-old, like, staying in my apartment. And You sound like me, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean...
0: <laughs> like, I hate networking.
1: I left and I realized, like, all my professors were, like, famous and really cool and that I only, like, got close with one of them. And Like who? Um, Elaine Freegood is the one I'm thinking of. And she's like this crazy writer who does like, uh, it's called min, min I can't even say it, menesis. It's like M-N-E-M-E-N-E-N-E-S-I-S. Yeah. Okay. And anyway, she, she's just like a genius about, on um, literary theory. But then, um, the famous guy I was talking about was, um, uh, Professor Block. That's just his name. And he does philosophy and he does philosophy of consciousness and he does really weird experimental philosophy where they like. Just really creepy stuff. I won't even. It might not but be, somebody it like might a resource, a resource that you should have tapped. Yes, yeah. I, I was the same way. Like I was, the guy that was on the Oxford Society and asked me to be on it, and I was like, oh, I'm over it.
0: <laughs> and I'm just like, Why did I do that? Just the idiocy of youth. Like I was in uh, I was in film school at Boulder uh, when Stan Brackage was there, like mm-hmm. the last years of his life. Just like you know, and and it's very specialized. But if you're into avant-garde film, if you're into film, period. And you don't know about the guy like mm-hmm. that's that's like a hole, you know, but he right. was there. He's like, a, I mean, especially in the in And the what did you do about it. Nothing. I, <laughs> I, you know, I was kind of there. He you know, I took, uh, you know, spent some time listening to him with some of his screenings and stuff. But like it, you look back hindsight's 2020, 20, like I should have been like at every single class he taught. I should have yeah. been like totally like squeezing the guy for everything he knew um, because like he was like. And why know, aren't we like that? That's what I meant by waking up from New
1: York, like why were in that time, why didn't you do that?
0: I think it was just like youth, like the arrogance of youth, just, just plain ignorance. Yeah. Not understanding how important he was, uh, not being far enough along in my artistic career to, um, understand the value of his example in terms of commitment, mm-hmm. because, you know, I think that, you know, somebody who works as an, uh, in art film or whatever, an experimental film, obviously there's not huge money in that. Um, though you know, I think uh, after he died, his collection sold to MoMA or something for a good, you know, good amount of money. Nice. So it's sort of like when you know Allen Ginsberg's papers sell to some mm-hmm. university for a big amount of money. Like it's it's kind of the equivalent. It's about as good as it gets for somebody in <laughs> experimental <laughs> film. It's always like... Post- after they're dead. After, yeah. <laughs> after you're dead, <laughs> post mortem. But um, the point that I'm trying to make is that there's it's it's sort of a similar case in literature, and I think that um, you know having stand there and and if you know. Uh, I learned all of this after the fact, and like reading about him and reading interviews with him, uh, it's inspiring. You know that the guy mm-hmm. stuck to his guns. He had his vision, he had his thing, uh, and he just worked his ass up He was incredibly prolific, and uh, just like kind of never wavered. And people came around to him, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not so no networking. He just waited. I mean, you know, he had academia to support him. He struggled. You know, he lived up in the mountains. I mean, he was like a. He had to be. He was a totally eccentric guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was gifted. And, you know, these hand-painted films that, that he did in particular, I don't know if you're I haven't familiar. seen them, no. But he took, you know, actual celluloid and then he went and bought like Crayola markers at the grocery store and he sat there and, and each colored one. each frame. But then when you run them through a projector, it looks like some sort of abstract painting that's breathing. It's really beautiful. So if like the Criterion Collection has like a, a whole, like they have all of On these Netflix? films. Is um, Criterion Netflix. No. I, I I don't know if he's available on Netflix, but I know you can buy. Like I I have somewhere. It's actually sitting right there, by bracket in an <laughs> nice. anthology, the Criterion Collection. They have like you know on DVD yeah. all of his uh, you know all of his stuff, and you can watch a lot of those. But you know it's it's a different kind of film watching. You're, mm-hmm. just, you're sort of sitting there for a long time. Yeah, so like taking. It, it's like looking at a piece of art rather than like where's exactly where's this going? It's like a museum piece almost, you know. But um, anyhow, so New York. Um, You know, you you have this, like, waking up period. Like, were you thinking as a young uh, student, like, I'm going to do something in new media. I'm going to start my own magazine. Like, when did that idea flower for you? It started in a class
1: uh, on Lord Byron's poetry. And he had this line. My book's over there. I could grab it. But it's it's in the opening lines. um, And it's just about getting weird like he wrote this in the 1700s and he was like this is the age of oddities let loose use your human tools to, to make something weird and i was just looking at it and it's it, it struck me that he was like speaking to me through time and then i right then i started because at the time i had this you know um the new yorker was like my anathema
0: i just yeah, what do you think of the new yorker you must you must
1: have a thing against the cartoons it. are almost all great yeah everything else to me is so I just find I find that it's I find it. First of all, if I had access to the writers they have access to, I'd be the biggest lit mag in the world. Like anybody that grabs every Pulitzer Prize winning writer they can get and is like, "Here, we're we're really top class lit mag." Like that's not hard to do when you've been around for 200 years and you're owned by Condé Nast. Right. And so the main thing that pisses me off is like the, the the culture the culture of like just having horrible customer service to people that are submitting and like cause, and so I, I just wanted the New York to be kind of the inverse of that. I thought. Uh, when did the New ever, Yorker, did
0: you ever submit to the New Yorker?
1: I submitted one piece, and they wrote back and said no. With like just this, just like the the form letter, and that was like two months ago, just for fun. Oh, okay. well, yeah, and recently I, it was wasn't hard. like a begrudging thing. Like I've been submitting for years, <laughs> and I was like, I suddenly hate them, and I have a philosophical reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just I, I I'm a poet. When I write, I usually write poetry, even if it's politics. I write in poetry form first, and take out the line breaks, and um, I started reading some experimental writing after that. Lord Byron wake up call that there are other ways to do things, just take tools and do things. And, um, and then I got stoned for four months in my room and made
0: the New York book, book one. That was it. That was it. That was the Genesis. That was the Genesis. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. So you make the book first,
1: right? Yeah. It was book zero because I wasn't sure if it would happen again or what I was doing.
0: Cause I remember when this was coming online, there was like, uh. A... Was it, I mean, I'm f- forgive me if I'm not remembering this. Okay. It wasn't like a PDF, but it was like a, it was like a slick presentation. It wasn't just like a website. It was like a book. This was way back when. Really? I don't know.
1: Maybe. I feel like I got something. You might be thinking of like
0: issue, issue.com or something. Maybe that was it. But I remember scrolling through pages and it mm-hmm. was li- it was like when you look at the New Yorker on the New yeah. Yorker app, it wasn't like a website per se, but it was like just a book a digital oh, presentation yeah. is that what you did yeah we,
1: ha- we have something like that okay so we send them around to like reviewers and stuff to be like flip through
0: okay so maybe i got that in the email but you started um by doing a book first and then you were like i'm gonna do a website
1: i did print first because it gives you some credibility um there, it's a dime a dozen also to be a lit mag but it's also it's more of a dime it's a penny a dozen it's a penny a <laughs> dozen to be uh, to be an online lit mag only no shit yeah. so i was like i'm gonna do a book and see how it works it didn't work that well I got a one-way ticket to Paris, to, like, a farm outside of Paris, and I disappeared for, like, five months. And then when I came back, I had a bunch of orders. How did you you do this? You just went to a farm? Do you know uh, Woof.com? No. Worldwide Organization of Organic Farmers. Oh,
0: yeah. You know what? I talked to uh, Catherine Lacey. It's sweet. And she did that down in New Zealand. Yeah, it's amazing. I think that's the organization. She did something similar. There's one
1: in in every country has their own.
0: So you're just like, I'm going to go work on an organic farm in France.
1: Yeah, it was a cow farm, cattle farm, because I'm really afraid of cows and I wanted to get over my fears. So I got a one-way ticket and stayed with this Swiss guy on this, like, chateau. Interesting. And I was was the pregnant cow. uh, 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 Who else was afraid of cows? I mean, so many people, they're so scared. I think T.S. Eliot was desperately afraid
0: of cows. I'm not kidding. Look it up online. Somebody look that up online and email me if I'm right. T.S. Eliot was afraid of cows. But uh, why afraid of cows? Did he die? Yeah. Did he? T.S. Eliot? Wait, who am I thinking of? Uh, T.S. Eliot wrote The Wasteland, like 1922. So he's who's, been... the guy, who's
1: the guy from uh, Santa Barbara who wrote The Tortilla Curtain? Oh, T.C.
0: Boyle. T. C. Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> he the... is not afraid of cows, okay. to the best of my knowledge. He's been on the show. Um, yeah, Sorry, what were we'll you asking? Uh, well, I don't know what was. It? Oh, the the organic farming. Yeah. Why are you afraid of cows?
1: I mean, I see you have cows next to your computer. I love cows. <laughs> um, I think they're frightening because they're huge and stupid and very skittery. They're like a cockroach, <laughs> except they're like six thousand. See, pounds. okay.
0: I because he's referring to. I have some cow figurines on my desk that I keep as like a talisman. My wife got me these years ago when she was back at her grandparents' place in Kansas. Did you just insult talisman? Is it's not like Lucky Charm? Did I misuse that word? I mean, I'm just thinking.
1: I thought it was like the Jewish like. Never mind. Okay, it's like a shawl. I thought anyway. A prayer shawl. I think it's like
0: a Lucky Charm. That's okay. what I meant. That's the way that I intended the the usage. But my point is that the reason I I think I like cows, is because they're they seem so docile to me, and like you can just like walk up to one. No, have you been on a cow farm? Not recently. No. Yeah, I
1: haven't either. And no, you like walk through and they. They do the one eye thing where the one eye looks at you and it's like bigger than you know your face. It's a huge <laughs> eye, and then they just make this horrible guttural noise. It's not, it's not like moo. Mmm. It's yeah. like, mmm, <laughs> mmm. and they're just so stupid and scared. And they, you know, they, some of the bulls do a charging thing, and to walk through a herd of them, and all you have is a wood stick to protect yourself. Yeah is
0: and did you get over it no no but
1: i but i became comfortable with it enough to do that every morning
0: okay so you show up in france you go to this chateau where in what what city what town
1: um the village was called legally but it's like 80 people it was outside
0: like how far outside of paris
1: oh hour by train uh two hours by train one hour hitchhiking guy picked me up at some community center and drove me into the mountains so you speak french
0: not very well but enough like functional yeah he was I, swiss too so he had they can all speak english yeah you know but i can speak like functional you know i, I understand whoa. Oh, shit! all right hang on we're still recording we're hot yeah <laughs> sorry about that just kicked over the uh, uh what is it the headphone amp the but, thing um yeah i understand more than i can actually speak yeah i'm very two-dimensional in my speech also, I got really good at French,
1: and then I got really good at French. sounds weird. and then I realized that everybody was talking about like going to the club and just stupid things when I wanted to think they were like talking about philosophy right. again <laughs> again, there's this constant theme of me wishing everybody was smarter and right. and so I stopped trying because I liked being sitting in a cafe and writing and just hearing like. You'll be
0: in yeah. I'm just like, cool that's all that's happening you're all you know what, really interesting you know what i always like i always like looking at the little french children like when they're out with their mothers and you know they always dressed really well and there's something great about that
1: the first time we went to france because i studied abroad there at, during nyu and my friend jesse and i we were walking across the street and this lady was screaming at her dog and it was like doing tricks and we were like that dog knows more french than us like we have so much work to do it was like understanding complex commands <laughs> where did you study abroad uh it was in paris at the sorbonne no it was at nyu they have a School there. Oh, they do? Yeah, they're creepy. They're trying to get 55% of their students off of the American mainland by like 2016 or something. And
0: you can, what, you can just go to Paris and hang out?
1: Yeah, they have a huge building. They also have it in Abu Dhabi, Ghana, like Barcelona, all over the place. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, but where,
0: what part of Paris is that? It's yeah. in like
1: a, the really fancy part. I think it was the 16th arrondissement. Uh huh. Just super fancy. Okay. Yeah,
0: that's like the Champs Elysées. And... Yeah, it's right there. All right. I didn't know that. So was it a fun semester abroad?
1: It was It was all right.
0: It was all right. How do you do with the French girls? They don't like American guys. They're not a fan <laughs> of American guys. Uh, I sort of expect, you know, I was I was there when I was young. Um, it's not what you hear. I, you know, but I'm, I was not, I feel like to my credit, I didn't show up thinking that I would be some big hit. I did. You did? <laughs> <laughs> I was timid. I was always very shy with girls, you know. When I was uh, younger, I wish I wasn't. I wish, like looking back, I wish I was bolder, you know. But I was always just like, but I, I went there, like you know, on some sort of like uh, writerly fantasy thing, like which is embarrassing to say. No, which is the truth. I was, yeah, totally. Everybody should try it. Well, you know, and Paris is a great city. Like I know that it's not the same as it used to be. I know that it's become more wet, you know, it's become more homogenized with the rest of the Western world and blah blah blah. But it's a beautiful town. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good, so lovely. It's inspiring to be some place where there's like that deep of a sense of history and that deep of a sense of art history. And it's got a vibe to it. It like exudes
1: something like yeah. that whole thing that there's, I heard some guy talking about how things like escargot and absinthe only taste good within the bounds of France. <laughs> and there's something about it where you're just like, yeah, it's, <laughs> like there's so much, you're so laden with history and like movies well, that and things taste better and feel better. Yes.
0: That's the thing. There's such a rich cultural history and like you become informed by that. And then I think that, um, I really do think that, you know, if you dig into the literature that came out of there or you spend time there, it does get into you in a real way. Mm -hmm. That's not just like your head playing tricks on you.
1: No, there's a there's a fully structured like world that the writing from there like... uh... Flaubert's writing or, or whatnot like really builds around you yeah
0: okay and then like and not just in Paris either I think that the country I think the country of France is beautiful mm-hmm. I love France It's so nice I don't understand these people who like hate on like America there's a lot of American hatred for France and that's another ingrained thing we're yeah, just like, taught to be like because like, it's like effeminate or it's like too, they don't appreciate socialist. us enough it's so yeah that drives me crazy um, so anyway getting, the French hate back anyway yeah and the French hate back. it's just weird <laughs> I've always been like I like them I never hadn't this is the other thing, people are always like you know the French are so rude, I never experienced that yeah ever i 've never you know that 's my... not
1: true of any generation or population ever anywhere there's always asses exactly. <laughs> like, that 's the dumbest
0: argument it 's like people saying that about new York new, you go to New York City, people, people are mean,
1: people are mean it 's like no, they see three hundred thousand people a day and they might not be like the most welcoming <laughs> all the time, but
0: they 're fine. <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, so uh, anyhow, you go yeah books, but you go to this uh, cow farm. Mm -hmm. Were you retreating? Were you thinking like, oh my god, I failed at this literary magazine, and I'm going to go like take a time out in France? Or
1: I didn't view it as a failure because the there was just the New York one was just like my like fuck you before I left. Am I cussing too much for your podcast? Okay. Um, And so no, I didn't. I didn't view it as a failure, and it was a retreat. I definitely at the time I was really into biology and so i bought a lot of really like fringy biology books and yep. there's this big oak tree that i would just sit under and read when i was done with my stuff how woofing works is you only have to work like six hours a day or something and then you can do whatever you want all right so i would take bike rides all along can like, you bring a three-year-old <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually you can they have full family things most of the places have like because their farms have extra houses and they're like bring whoever do it really as long as you help them in the garden
0: they'll give you food I put and, my daughter to work yeah get her to herd some cattle <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure that sounds safe yeah um okay well that's so bad. was retreat-y, yeah that, that's good but right
1: before i left i fell in love with a girl oh and so is that still going part of the retreat was me trying to find wi-fi so we could video chat which is hard out there um yeah it's still going i moved back for her and we're living together
0: holy shit okay yeah. Did you guys
1: meet in new york met her in line for graduation walking across the stage
0: she was like in line with yeah, you
1: like in our gowns
0: and you'd never seen her before
1: I'd seen her around you had yeah
0: you, I mean NYU is a big school so it's possible that you could it's only 54,000 people that's it yeah, yeah of course, you're gonna, of <laughs> course you're gonna we ran it all the time so you're in line uh, gra- about to graduate and what's the chit chat like just like oh I can't believe we're graduating
1: no I'm with my friend and I really stupidly like hit him and was like pointed at her and was like do you know her And, like, I was close enough for her to hear me. And then he, like, introduced us. And we just – because it was one of those windy things where there's so many people that, you know, winds up, like, snaky.
0: Yeah.
1: And and I saw her at a party three days later. And I asked my same friend. I was like, what do I say to her to make her like me? And he was like, kale and yoga. And I was like, that's lame, but I'm going to try it. And I sat down and we talked for a bit. And then I was like – uh, after I pick up some kale from the farmer's market tomorrow, you want to go to a yoga class? She was like, yes. And that was our first date. No way. That did together. work. It worked Guys out. Guys listening. Kale and yoga. Uh,
0: see, I've done yoga for years. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about this before we came on the air. I uh, had a bad back. I still sort of have a bad back. It's gotten better. But like that was how I got into it. Me too. And Really? Yeah. Like lower I had a, bad, it had a lower back injury. No. In All right. Well, so you get into it and then it's nice. Like uh, yoga's nice. You get like a good feeling. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. I think like the yoga high or whatever. The high, yeah. Um, Endorphins. So you take this girl to a yoga class. What I was, uh, what I was going to say is that uh, for single guys, especially, you know, who might say, you know, yoga is too effeminate for me or it's just lame or whatever. It's uh, the ratio is really good. It's mostly women in there. What are you doing guys? (laughs)
1: Like you can be chi if you want to, and you can be a perv if you want to. And in both cases you're getting exercise. (laughs) I'm not
0: advocating being a pervert, but it's a good place to meet women. (laughs) And you're like the only guy and like, you know, Though I think some women would sort of say like, I don't want a yoga dude. Right. They want some guy who's like hunting or something, you know, I don't know.
1: At the time I met my girlfriend, she was dating a yoga teacher. Oh my God. Yeah. So
0: it was weird. She's super spiritual.
1: No. Are you super spiritual? I mean, I don't, does super add anything to the meaning? I don't know. Uh, Like
0: what's your situation there?
1: what's my situation there well i've been listening to lots of the podcast skeptic's guide to the universe all and right. it's kind of made me really cynical about everything <laughs> and like so like every time somebody's like i like fish i'm like what do you mean like like what is that feeling you have yeah and so spiritually i'm very torn between like liking acupuncture and yoga and i'm 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 brain centered so it's all how how you feel about um i'm not sure Compassion. Yeah. Be nice.
0: Just don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. Like when I
1: that's so, really the thing about politics, we were talking about before, everything about it to me comes back to my spiritualism, which is just like, why would you waste your time on any of that? Any of that war and like why like there's right. so many things I want to do with the we're world that be are dead. big for writers, for poetry, for all this stuff, and not one of it is like I really want
0: to like, you know, attack the New York, Or the New Yorker or <laughs> I don't know, it's just like just anger for unknown reasons. Yeah no I just i mean I, that, I think my whole thing is like this like kind of acute sense of mortality time running out like that why would I can't bother myself with this like don't you realize yeah that, like, what are you wasting your we're time gonna on? be gone soon i I often have that feeling like if not daily but and I think that's healthy you know like I don't I don't mean to imply that like it's I'm super morbid but I think like it's very easy to lose sight I think there are people out there who just don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. And maybe their life is in some way easier somehow, like within the context of the way life works now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my main spirituality that I've been working out with my girlfriend lately is,
1: you know how we're, we're neurotic. Everybody's neurotic. Everybody has problems. Everybody thinks about things. Everybody has the weird personal dramas. And it's important every time you meet someone to remember that they have that much complexity going on in them too. Right. So if they're acting angry or if they're acting whatever, important to have that compassion to be like oh my god they have a whole life they have whole families they have whole friends they have whole dramas
0: it can be you know that's a good point because it can be really easy to judge people off of one thing off of one thing and to be pissed off because they failed you in some way or you know some interaction you had with them failed to you know live up to your expectations or whatever but you know that's missing the complexity mm-hmm. and and not understanding like common humanity mm-hmm. like they're just you know simplifying we're all we're all the same. Yeah, everyone, aren't you in a good mood? What's that quote? You know, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone's fighting like a mm-hmm. terrible battle or a, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> like I don't the, know if "terrible" is the adjective. <laughs> but. Horrible. Time. They're having a horrible day. <laughs>
1: There's the Walt Whitman quote: "The every uh, do I contradict myself? I do. I contain multitudes."
0: Yeah, and I think about that a lot. Everyone does. Yeah, everyone's just. Um, so do you, did you, I mean, philosophy had to have like your philosophy study had to have informed your worldview so much. Who's, who are some of your philosophers? I don't know enough. I mean,
1: if I was religious, McLuhan would be Marshall McLuhan would be like my, my God, my, not my God, my preacher, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he was someone who really changed the way I saw the world. How so? Um, back to that MSNBC and Fox and waking up to the media of media and like he he had this whole i mean my sister gave me his book um understanding media and it and it worked from he started from a shovel as media it's like an extension of your body and you're using it cuz you don't have a shovel and he worked that up and he worked all the way up to like pretty much telephones and how we use tools to like touch the world and um to him, media builds an architecture around people, music, um, podcasts, podcasts, <laughs> right now. Are you listening?
0: <laughs> the medium is the message, people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Pretty much that. That was yeah. his tagline that got thrown around, which I still don't understand what it means, but it's okay. Um, yeah. It is one of those ones where you're like, yes. People quote it because it sounds cool, but it I, doesn't mean sh-. I agree with it, but I have no idea what it means. It doesn't it's mean anything. Things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not sure I can articulate it. I, he, I went through a period He reading. made me really critical. Yeah. Which, I, which, when I talk about waking up a lot, it's things like that. There's certain writers, like Marx was one of them, even though I'm not a Marxist, but his writing just made me wake up to things, like like something I loved, capitalism, or something I loved, TV, Marshall McLuhan and Marx, like, just, I don't know, gave me a different place to
0: look at it. From. The Dalai Lama is a Marxist. Is he? I mean, in his philosophy, he's not a, com- you know, he's not like a Stalinist. Right. Like, I think that people get these things confused, but like I read... There was a quote online, I went through some link hole, you know what I'm saying, where you're like, and I don't even know how I got there, but it was like an interview he did. And, and the you know, FBI I do want... busting open the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think his philosophy, and, and that would make sense from a Buddhist perspective, it's more of a communal philosophy economically, as opposed to like this rampant capitalistic you know, philosophy. But um, I don't know why, I guess I found that interesting. I haven't read any Marx. Mm-hmm. Should I read him? It's interesting to me because I was, you know, we heard about the Red Scare and we
1: hear about communists on like Fox all day long, but- I decided to pick up the manifesto and figure out what it was and also some of his essays and it's all there's no real Marxism it's all about capitalism which is why it shocks me that it's not taught just as a text like hey here's a guy who knew capitalism more than anyone in the world and wrote about it in like an interesting way
0: but these concepts have been here we go back into politics but these concepts have become perverted so you have socialism and then they like they've been simplified again
1: they tag it to the Nazis it's like do you know why he talks about it in one of his books Marx's first essay here was called it's called the Jewish Question or something, and it was about Judaism in Germany. And not only did Hitler quote it, which didn't help, but when it was translated here, <laughs> never it was translated when, never as the Jewish problem.
0: It, it never helps when Hitler quotes something. <laughs> no, it pretty much kills whatever's been said. Um, but yeah, so it's like you know, Marxism gets ruined by like the failed communist experiment and all of the awful things that happened under Stalin and so on. And this. I don't think it should be the political system. I just think it should be accepted to talk about. Well, and like, but the thing is, is that we shouldn't abandon all of the ideas contained within it. Right. You know, some of these ideas are probably good. And like, it's so, a good way to look at things. Yeah. Like, in, you know, it drives me crazy, like, the simpli- you know, the simplisticness, if that's a word of of people's thinking around this stuff. And it like, is, well, and they we, don't want to spend
1: the time reading the book. They're just like, and, it's and bad it, for America.
0: Well, and it's just like this reactionary, like, infantile fear.
1: Yeah. Of <laughs> something that might change your mind. <laughs> uh, who else?
0: I feel like I'm caffeinated. But, uh, okay, so let's get back to uh, the New <laughs> York <laughs> And we just got trippy. You met your girlfriend. Still together. That's sort of a romantic story. I like that story. And we were abroad for, we were apart for a year. And,
1: but you had an epistolary relationship. You had an epistolary relationship. We still have a box full of letters. Okay.
0: But see, okay. And here's what I'd say, I would say about that. I think that actually sounds like a good way to get to know somebody. It was. I mean, you test, first of all, you test the strength of interest. Uh, second of all, you really get to know somebody when you read their writing. I have long contended, and I'm sure there's got to be some version of this existing on the internet somewhere, mm-hmm. that like dating services should make more hay out of like either epistolary exchanges or literary, um, mm-hmm. some sort of literary dating site where you have nerds exchanging letters and book quotes, know, quotes like books, because but uh, like really reading one another, right. because when you really read someone's thoughts especially in volume, you know, you get to know them
1: in a way that going out on dates doesn't do most of the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so,
0: I mean, that's like, why don't we, I mean, cause I feel like, um, you, you get a sense of a person that way. Like you get, you can get a sense of a person by like them telling you like some of their favorite books. You get a sense of them telling you, uh, their, their fears, the, the music, <laughs> their fears of Marxism and Hitler. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a cool way to get to know somebody in the, especially in the early going in a relationship. And so, um, you come back, uh, you, you move from New York to the West Coast? Move from New York to the West Coast. That was Actually, the-
1: no, I, I moved out when I went to Paris. I got a one-way ticket, and then I, when I came back, I came to California.
0: So was, was that the plan, or was that plan hatched on the cow farm?
1: That, Michelle and I, Michelle's my girlfriend, was a fling before we left, and it got more and more serious as I was in Paris, and I was just like, okay, I got my fix. I'm ready to move in and ask this girl to come with me. Wow. So she was teaching in Brooklyn at the time. And what, did you write her a letter and say you want to go to California? No, I flew out there, and we were really drunk one night, and I was eating cheese puffs, and I was just like, move in with me. And she was like, what? And then we didn't really talk about it, and then a year later, she moved in. <laughs> There's not much talking about it, and then she quit her job <laughs> and got a
0: plane ticket. And then, okay, so wait, but you got back from Paris and mm-hmm. then broached the subject of her moving in, and then it was another year after that. Mm-hmm okay so it took some time it took a lot of time so a lot had, of letters we have a i was gonna say wetters. so you had an epistolary relationship in, in paris from france to new york and then you had an epistolary relationship from california to new york mm-hmm. and
1: yeah. we got creative we would do things like we'd have like little poster boards that we would write one line on fold and paperclip and then fold it back and forth that thing yeah. so you don't know what anybody's writing and then we'd have whole stories written together and we'd, we'd get we'd get weird with it it sounds romantic yeah she's I a tried. good card maker too so she would make some really crazy i stuff. feel
0: like young women out there might be swooning right now good yeah, guys. I mean, but I do feel. I feel like this is. Uh, you know, is writing. this where I go? Go to the dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Your brand is really being enhanced by this. Yeah. Um, okay, so so you come. We out like to, epistolaries. Yeah, you come out to get to California. Oh yeah, you mean you like to publish them? Yeah, we publish a lot. Yeah, I like that too. I like. It's I,
1: weird how just adding "deer" and "from" changes everything.
0: Well, I find that it's helpful as a writer to like loosen me up. Like, I think that um, to write to someone, to write to somebody. Because once you have, like, like an actual, you know, um, clear idea of who you're writing to, who your audience is, mm-hmm. uh, it's something, there, there's a greater immediacy maybe in the writing. You're talking in your own voice a little bit more somehow.
1: I think your first point was right. It's that you're talking to someone. You have your audience right there. And it's not like this, like, am I writing to the ether? Am I writing to myself? Am, am I, I writing to the world? Yeah. You I... have
0: these, like, because I think, like, these grandiose feelings of, like, everyone might read this. Who's going to like it. Yeah. Who's not going to like yeah. it. Yeah. Which is, yeah, those are two sides of the same coin. So I think that can actually be paralyzing and unhelpful. And it's like, just pick like one person or a few people and mm-hmm. think of them as you're writing. Right. And write, and write to them.
1: Mm-hmm. When I do politics, I used my
0: first politics blog was called dear dad. Cause
1: him and I always fight politics. So me and my would, dad,
0: my dad's a conservative. Yeah. My dad too. Is he? Yeah. That's weird. You know, like it's like, I mean, we get along and like, I, but I think it's been also kind of helpful because you know, it's taught me to try to understand mm-hmm. you have to have like some basic respect. Like, okay, we're not going to see eye to eye on this, but, um, is your dad like more of a libertarian or is he like full on like Fox news conservative?
1: No, he's not full on Fox news conservative. He's, he's pretty aware. He just stuck with Fox news. Cause that's, I don't know. <laughs> they're just, they're going to make you feel better. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. It's less of a headache. Your old knees don't hurt so much anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know what he is. He's as confused as me. Okay. I, we, but we you both... have
0: like a healthy debate. It's not totally. like this bitter, like...
1: Well, sometimes he's like, shut up. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> and then like a week later, I'll get an email like, I was just kidding. I just didn't feel like talking about it then.
0: What do, you, do you think... Because like, I, I, you know, you rarely hear the inverse where it's like the parents are liberal and the kid is conservative. <laughs> I always wondered if that exists. I mean, it's it like, a caster. There was a show before your time called yeah. uh, Family Ties with yeah. Alex P. Never Keaton. heard of it. You never heard no, of, of it? No, I'm kidding. Michael J. Fox played Alex P. Keaton, who was like a Reagan Republican. Mm. Uh, And his parents were like, you know, former hippies or whatever. So it does exist. Well, (laughs) um, but I mean, you know, I just, I'm sure, and I'm sure it does. I just, you don't hear as much about that. It's always like the parent is a conservative and the kid strays. Um, Yeah. What's, what's with that? you think if you have kids uh, or, you know, my daughter, I sometimes think about this because I think like if you're too doctrinaire or dogmatic, did I just use the word doctrinaire correctly? If you, if you try to, if you try to impose your views, Mm -hmm. whatever they may be on your child and you do it with too much force, they're likely to rebel at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But also
1: there's no theory. There's no like equation that always works out because then you get the opposite where you you push it a lot and they end up totally hippie
0: too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's all in the the delivery. You know, there are certain values. Like when I think about this from a parental perspective, like there are certain values that I think my parents wanted me to have and I think I have those. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if they don't see it, like sometimes I think my dad worries that like I've, because I, I'm not a church goer who you want me to be. Don't you see it? <laughs> I'm telling you, but it's like, I, no matter how hard I try, I'm like, listen, I got the values. I just, it's the, the dogma that I'm not into. Right. Um, or some of this other stuff, you know, it's not central. It's not the, 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 the good stuff got through. Um, yeah, you'll never convince them of that. Never. Yeah. I'm, you know, there's something f- like flawed about it, you know, but I, I feel like with my daughter, like there are certain values that I want her to have, but. I'm going to be very gentle in my approach to, like, you know, that sort of thing, political stuff, mm-hmm. religion. Like, I was—were you raised religious? No, I mean, we're Jewish, but, like, really
1: fake Jewish. Like a, Christmas guess. tree Jews? Uh, Hanukkah bush. yeah. Hanukkah. <laughs> Get it right. Um <laughs> Uh, I remember once my dad was trying to do something for Passover, and it's supposed to be God revealed himself unto the people, and my dad said God relieved himself unto the people and started <laughs> doing, like, the swing and dick, like, motion. And so that was my <laughs> my experience with religion. Okay. And I was bar mitzvah, but it was in the basement of a Marriott from a... from. A... See, I think the bar mitzvah sounds great. You get all this money. like that's Yeah, great. I donated it all. You did? Yeah. For real? Yeah, I give half to the Galapagos Research Foundation for Evolution. Look at you, and then have to at yeah. the
0: age of fifteen or whatever. Or yeah, it's
1: supposed to be your mitzvah. That's what the mitzvah is. You're supposed to give at least half of it.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I kept I like a hundred bucks and bought like. I feel like a, I feel like about a ter- like the
1: whole offspring. <laughs> I, was like, I
0: feel like a terrible person. I'm like I'd just be in this money. <laughs> um, okay, so but but not like you know you were not raised in any kind of like orthodox. Strict. He's a
1: quantum physicist, so every time we got some t- some
0: religion in, he'd be like,
1: "But the world is just like floating energy." Like, You're okay. <laughs> yeah
0: there's no no. god thanks i'm more in line with that so um okay your girlfriend moves to (laughs) to california you're finally together in the same space i feel
1: like i'm seeing a patchwork of my life yeah right now that's what we're trying to do we're
0: trying to string it all together okay um you're finally in the same space i i I do have to ask you like once you guys were no longer separated by uh you know a large physical distance once the relationship transitioned from epistolary and like online Mm -hmm. to actual like being together was there an adjustment or was it natural it's
1: it maybe just recently ended and it's been a year and a half. Really? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't bad, but it was like very much so her and I are very presently like constantly changing our views of one another yeah. and trying to figure out how, what exactly we got ourselves into. Cause I remember when she moved in and I we, I remember us looking at each other and we were thinking the same exact thing. You are a goddamn stranger. <laughs> like we hooked up for two weeks in New York, you disappeared and it's a year later and she just dropped out of grad school, quit her job and like ended up in my apartment and now I was getting, like, a job at, like, a juice shop. Yeah. And so there was definitely this time of, like, what is going on? Like, this, like, floating sense of things. Um, and so the the adjustment was was hard, but it was good. Because she was dependent on me for the for a while. She didn't have her license, which is hard in L.A. She never got her license. Right, the New York thing where so nobody was Teaching drunk. someone to drive. You you taught her how I to drive. I taught her how to drive in my car. Some of the most like if we're, we got through that and we we're like we're fine. And Los Angeles not the easiest place to like you know cut your teeth. As Taking a the ten to the one ten <laughs> right. right. And she's in my car and she's afraid to hit it. Stick
0: shift or uh, no? It's okay. Yeah, it's automatic. okay. I was gonna say
1: that could throw like an extra element in there. Whew, it gets me sweaty just talking about it. it was so <laughs> it was like father daughter thing, and I had to be like, no, don't do that. And yeah, like, yeah.
0: Pump the brakes. Yeah. But and you actually, forget how
1: confusing it is backing up, you know, turning the opposite way. That's right. not a
0: simple thing. Right. Parallel parking. Oh man. Um anyway, yeah. So what do you Water what transition. do you want to do? Like you you said you were working at a juice shop, you're rolling the New York the New York out, you're doing She worked the at a juice shop. shop. Oh she did? Yeah. You didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. So I drink the juice. You drink it. that's good. <laughs> healthy girlfriend. Um So what's the plan? Do you have
1: one? I have a big plan. Okay. I don't know if I want to tell everybody the plan. But for now, you got to tell us. Okay,
0: we've come this far.
1: I'll do my best to articulate it. Um, I want the New York to be a big publishing company where every single part of it is weird. So there's no author standing up and reading. There's no like standard signings. I kind of, um, you know, we've already been weird in, in that we have blind submissions. I totally hate cult of personality. Like when big writers try and contact me and are like, "Here's a piece and attach it." I'm like, submit blindly because. I hate this whole idea that like I'm a big writer like I can get into what do you mean they have to send it from like a dummy email no they have to go to submittable and they submit and it's blind through there oh right Um, but I really I want to I want to challenge the powers that be in the literary world by doing things I don't know you hear about bookstores closing down and there's this whole narrative right now that's starting to change thank god that books are dying and they're not they're going huge and when people say bookstores are dying I'm like Amazon was a bookstore and now they're killing it there's lots of things you can do um so I wanna just kind of if the work we publish is experimental, I want our business model to be experimental. So, you know, we're working on animations right now. We're gonna start trying to convert many of the short stories we publish into animations. Um I have a designer going through and turning them into posters, so we're gonna sell them from the website and give the authors proceeds. So I'm just right now trying to play out with all the trillion ways you can take really strong stories and not only make money off of them but pay authors and writers with them and and we're kind of a um
0: like finding ways to—I mean, I hate to use this verb. monetize monetize yeah, content. Unfortunately, it's,
1: oh, that's pretty much the word. I know, money eyes. We should say yeah. just <laughs> because it's funnier. But, but um, I've,
0: I've actually thought of that because this is like this is the trend right now. That's why I didn't want to tell you across all. But no, but right, I mean, no across all industries, you know, where it, there's like this endless need for content, and everybody's becoming a content producer, but there are different ways to take, like you almost take like the principal... The, the principal content in the context of like literature. But then you talk about doing these animations. I've actually had that thought where mm-hmm. it's like, why don't people make what, well, why don't authors make like really interesting, even narrative video content or complimentary content. And you know, the, the uh, I think one of the, uh, the responses to that, which I think you're addressing by way of animation is that not all authors are good on camera yeah, <laughs> or have any, almost interest none <laughs> yeah, right. I'd say. Right. So you do it but you do it via animation, it just it's one more way for people to find out about the work. Mm-hmm. And it's one more way you can sell advertising on those videos. Is that for what you're sure. gonna do? Things like that. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And the the poster thing's a good idea that we do these literary carnivals where we have actors memorize the pieces and come in and give them monologues. Who's we? Um so for the carnivals it's Michelle and I and sometimes it's girl Vivian and I'm about to have a meeting after this for someone else. But um For the carnivals, it's Michelle and I mainly. And then for the website, there's this guy, Chuck, who's in Boston, runs the whole thing. He's my best friend. Never met him. Um, You never met him? Never met him in person
0: this is you have a lot of these relationships i do have a lot <laughs> yeah we just send each other letters i have boxes of letters from chuck
1: i've only been to a psychologist once and they told me that i love letters and writing because i said something once and somebody got mad at me and ever since then i'm way more comfortable with written word i'm communication. sorry that, i'm sorry that you're here i feel bad no yeah i'm really <laughs> freaking out right now you want to just i told me. you i wanted to drink beer just like calm my nerves
0: um
1: what was i talking about <laughs> yeah chuck and then uh daniel bullard bates and celeste mora are in portland and they do editing and then celeste does publicity and sends out mailers and stuff so but people it's all
0: it's, it's younger people people in their 20s uh we have
1: moment? one guy steve vermillion who's a big part of it and he's i think he's probably like 65 he's, oh really and he's in like petaluma california
0: okay but people and in like investing in general investing time and energy mostly gratis like who's bankrolling this
1: my dad my
0: savings and it's going better slowly
1: like it's bankrolling itself in terms of paying uh my employees stipends and hosting the website and all that
0: that's covering itself finally okay so that's good um but you mean but like and I, i don't mean to like invade your space and kickstarter but okay so kickstarter but your dad is helping you bankroll and the reason i think it's important to mention that is because people out there a lot of times wonder like why or they feel deficient like how do i do this like you have to have some help to get something like this off the ground you do right yeah so um like do do you have like an agreement where it's like you know we need x amount of money or is it just like money as needed do you know what i'm saying like like because in order for it to succeed and in order to
1: to have the manpower and in order to be able to right now it's i have to give a plan yeah how i'm going to spend it yeah and then also a promise that i'm going to give it back that's it You think you're going to come through? Yeah. Otherwise, it's like I'm going to go to another organic farm. (laughs) I mean, pretty much. Those are the options. I mean, I'm on my way. I give it. I've I've done a lot of research on other publishing companies and how they started, and it takes a long time. Like the barrier of entry of selling literature has to be so high to pay even one person a
0: living wage. Yeah. Well, and you know, but it's like you. you, If you have one, I don't want to be a nonprofit. Like no. But okay, but if you're doing experimental fiction and or, you know whatever, like How that's in a, the market. But yeah, it's a hard market. Well, things like our carnival
1: isn't literary at all. It's a, it's a freaking. Well, what's the carnival? It's a freaking madhouse. So we've done three so far, but uh, we do it at the Lyric Hyperion Cafe in L.A. And so there's an hour of carnival time. So there's booths. There's uh, you pay for somebody to write a poem to you. There's a canvas where you convert a piece from the book into like a visual art piece. There's a fictional. Uh, biographies where this guy asks you questions, kind of like a caricature and then he writes you a fake biography right. and there's all sorts of literary games like that. And then it goes inside and it's kind of like this, we call it a poetry reading through a madhouse mirror. And we take out all the chairs out of a black box theater and fill it with, uh, carpets and everybody gets drunk. And then there's usually a clown MC of some sort who comes out and recites pieces, but then there's actors interweaved and then there's also games interweaved like mad libs.
0: This isn't a, this is a production. Yeah, it's huge. So how are you organizing all this people? You just- Pick up the phone. Write letters. Just write letters. (laughs) A lot of letters. Yeah. Um, That's it. That's it. You get actors to participate in this? We get
1: actors to participate for free for beer and snacks backstage. I mean, it's not hard to find actors that might. In LA. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good And so we post the pieces we want to be performed online and people send us videos. And we're like, that's a good one. You're in. And we
0: do it like that. So do you see this as a traditional, I mean, traditional in the sense that like you're going to do books and print. Obviously you have like these events and stuff to help supplement, but- or do you see it more as like a media company? Media company. Media company. That's okay. That makes more sense. The, especially, yeah. Especially we're like, registered
1: as the New York Media Company, even though we have yet to grow into that name. Like
0: LLC? hmm You're going to do video.
1: I'm going to do video, working with some small... I'm going to do film contests in the future, and I'm going to keep it literary by everything being verbatim. So if we're doing a piece of art, a poster, verbatim. There's no added words. It's not an adaptation into film. It's just an interesting reading. Every word you hear in the films and the animations will be exactly as it was written. Okay. So that's, I'm going
0: to keep it about the stories. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you do it, like, if you, do you ever want to make films? Yeah. Okay. So if you make, a, if, you, if you do like an experimental novel and you make a low budget feature film mm-hmm. adaptation, there will be no adaptation. It'll be verbatim.
1: However it's done. I, I, I'll give the filmmakers free reign to do whatever they want. As long as audio, the only thing you hear are the words that are in the story.
0: Oh. When try. is this going to happen? Do you have anything in the works for a feature film? Um, not for a feature film because all of our stuff's really short. $2 Radio is doing that now, too. What's that? They started a film division. Okay. They're trying to kickstart. But I feel like that's coming. I mean, it's already here, but...
1: Yeah, it's not. that's not creative or, like, experimental by any degree. Well, no,
0: but, it's ex- it, but it is new, and it is, I think, exciting and interesting that because the barrier to entry to becoming a film company has gone way down. It's so down. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's like distribution is not... A huge deal. Making money on it is. Is a big deal. Is a big deal. But I mean... We're making money off of art right now. I buy and sell the art from
1: the artists that submit to our website, like the physical pieces. Uh-huh. And then sell those on the website and on Etsy. Like prints? No, like originals.
0: Okay. So like that's a good question, though. And like, that's working. Okay, that's working. But like, Stick with what works. Because I find in my own uh, doings, you know, online and, and trying to be creative and come up with new ways to... Mm-hmm. Uh, generate revenue to keep the thing going to keep the thing growing like you just start trying shit you know and so it's about us having many
1: as many options as possible that's what you think just 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 everywhere like i, I was listening to your thing it's like two bucks a month oh you don't want that eight bucks a year right. who's gonna say no to that that's even that you would be
0: surprised <laughs> yeah that's true i mean no but i, I hope you know be. i mean a lot of people have thankfully uh done it but i mean like thank they, you all thank you but I mean, no, but you know, it's, it's, there are so many, I think in their defense for the people who don't, it's like, there's so many people coming at you online. asking for a little of course, things. Yeah. of course. So, you know, people have to be really invested and they have to actually want the content and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you also have to make it easy for people to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take something like, for example, Kickstarter, um, how's that gone for you? Like, do you, have you built up enough of a community around the New York that you feel like you have, it's guaranteed. It is. Yeah. You have that much
1: goodwill generated. Um, the first one was mostly friends and begging. The second one had already like kind of blown up, I'd say in terms of having enough people. What,
0: what was your ask?
1: Uh, so for this, for the first one was like four grand and we reached that. Okay. So nothing uh, huge. For the next one, it was, uh, nine and we got like 10 or 11. And then for this recent one, it was 10 and we got, uh, 12. And what do you give people in return? Anything? Copy of the book. Copy the book. So it's for each issue so far. You do print runs? Mm-hmm. How many? 3,000. Do you have distribution? Uh, for book one and book two, we have distribution with like Ingram and Baker and Taylor and all that. But um, call me naive, but I'm going to try and avoid that. Like the new business plan is get a lot, of, get a great website, get a lot of people on the website, and then if I do a print run of 500, have it pretty much guaranteed they will all sell. And right. that way, I can make them really nice. They'll get out of the way, and I can move on to the next book. And you don't have to share profit with Ingram and. And I just hate that. I think it's such a scam, especially for small publishers. Yeah, I just can't deal with it. And I tried an experimental book distribution thing where I would ask our readers and writers to distribute for us. Yeah. I'd write them. I'd say, send me a list of stores around you. They'd send me the list. I'd send them pitches and sample books. And that worked for a little bit, but it's too much management.
0: It's, I mean, but I mean, this is the thing for me. It's like, I do the, uh, POD, which mm-hmm. is a, it's a shitty business model in terms of making money on actual book sales, especially print. Right. Uh, well, uh, you know, exclusively print, mm-hmm. uh, for POD, but it's like, um, I can't, you know, having boxes of books in my apartment and having to go to the mailbox or the post office that's what i'm doing now oh my god i can't do it it's I my just... only exercise <laughs> well but you know it's a good exercise yeah um and you know it's and it's if you're selling books if you're selling 500 books that's a lot of trips mm-hmm. you know but um that's the only way that you're probably going to make money yeah i'm okay with it for now yeah and, and and you do limited print runs mm-hmm. you get them out there um so 20 years from now it's like yeah. are you, how, how how invested are you in this? Do you have, like, a timeline? Like, if this thing isn't making uh, X amount of money by 2016, I'm going to go do something else or go back to school? Or are you, like, I'm 100% in? I mean, sometimes
1: when I have my strikes of insecurity, I'm, like, I'm going to quit and work at a publishing company somewhere else. Because I, I worked at Random House, and, like, well, I didn't like it. I was steady, and I was learning about books, and it was fine. Yeah. Um, what, you think you would be an editor? Probably. Yeah. Editor, creative director. I like, I like the digital stuff. I'd probably want to work on some new digital frontier project. Yeah. You like the experimental, like the leading or the cutting edge. Yeah. Just the changing. Uh-huh. I like when things are changing and there's no tradition to like have to fit into. So tear it all down. Yeah. Break it down. <laughs> Destructive. What's it called? I was about to make up a term. Change agent. Change agent. Yeah. change Changeation. change <laughs> <laughs> um, What did you ask me? Oh yeah. Am I invested? So Yes i give it five years it's been three years so i have two more
0: things. and who's like i mean you've got to be making a living or everybody who works there you know what i'm saying how does it how does it sustain itself
1: well i've been adding too many people to the team lately so i'm going to keep it at this size for a Start while firing people yeah for layoffs <laughs> i've already had to do that firing people i wasn't even hadn't even hired <laughs>
0: i'm very sorry <laughs> But I can't email you anymore. <laughs> um, I can't. Exp- I can't conduct this long-distance, whatever this is. Yeah, I don't know what we are
1: anymore. <laughs> um, so it's until I'm, I'm giving a living monthly wage to the people that are helping and to myself. Yeah. Um, I really don't know.
0: Okay, what about? I think the reason I ask so many of these questions when I is feel
1: G-force. Yeah. Seriously, it is when like things are just like. Uh,
0: no, but you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I, you know I, I feel like some people are better at it than I am. Some people are worse at it than I am. It's really hard what you're trying to do I So I admire you because I think like you know, taking that leap, uh, I understand something about that. I just I think it's like uh, admirable when somebody like comes up with an idea, builds something from scratch, sets out, you know so hats off on that end. but like d- you know in terms of like actually trying to turn all of this into a profitable business. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, like, well, you, maybe we need to do something more traditional. Like, we need to publish books that have more commercial appeal.
1: Seriously, art dealing is going to give us the thing that helps us grow and be able to do cool print projects.
0: So maybe that's the bread and butter of the business. Selling is art. It,
1: I want to be an agency. I want the New York to be a free agency for authors and writers. Like, in the future, I'd like to set up publicity tours for them. Free of charge. Just to, maybe they have to, like, mention the New York ones. But, like... Oh, we have a writer in Pittsburgh. There's a reading here. Let's get him at that reading. Right. And I'd like to be an agency for that. And um, same with the with the auth- with the artists. Host host a gallery of some sort. Buy their art if it sells. reinvest it into them. Pay these artists for making amazing art. And you can make a lot of money on art. Well, see, that's that. the
0: thing. That's the thing is that. Uh...
1: And then that was the plan. I could do crazy projects. That... I want to print all the New York books with poster pages that you can rip out, and it's like poster sized.
0: Well, it's stuff to... like that. Well, that's the thing is that like the business that you're describing. Um, is like has mutated as we've been discussing it, and is, you know, it's already growing. It's already growing, but it's also like unlike in its, you know, in its uh, assembly, uh, it's unlike anything. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's like an art agency and the publicity thing for authors and a publishing house. Like the, these things are now all available to us, and like you could put this thing together from my kitchen table, from your kitchen table, and you just have to figure out. Where the money comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, not because money is like the the driving motivation, but you do need it in order to keep the thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish you well with that. Thank you, Keep sir. me posted. Let me know how you, if you figure it out. So I, can, I will. I'll so invite can you do to the it. carnival in yeah, August. I want to do it too. <laughs> it's been fun talking with you. You too, man. Okay, you guys. There you go. That's Josh Rav Go check out the Uh It's also on Twitter. The handle's at TNY Press. It's got a Tumblr. It's on the Facebook uh, one of their latest titles is called The Inevitable June by Bob Schofield. The ebook is available now. The print edition is out on June 1st, and you can pre-order it right now, so go do that. Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as always, for all the good music. Be sure to visit KillRockstars.com. And don't forget about the app, the free, official Other People app. It's available wherever apps are, uh, wherever they are available. Wherever apps are available, my app is available. <laughs> Uh, whatever device you have, you can get the app for that device. That's my point. It's the best way to listen to this program. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You don't have to do anything. Uh, you can also download episodes to listen to while you're offline. And best of all, best of all, you can access premium content and the show's full archives all via the app. So if you've been wondering, how do I get access to all of these shows? How do I get access to everything? You get the app. And then, and the app is free. And then, once you have the app, you get the most recent fifty episodes of this podcast free of charge. And then, if you want to access the other two hundred and twenty, uh, some odd episodes in the archives, you just sign up for premium right there inside the app. You sign up inside the app. It's two dollars a month, or it's four ninety nine, uh, four ninety nine for six months of access, or it's eight ninety nine for the full year. That's like seventy five cents a month. It's a no brainer. And uh, if you do uh, that. You get access to everything. Every single episode of this program, including conversations with authors like Tom Parada, Ben Fountain, Cheryl Strayed, Roxane Gay, Edwidge Dantica, Sheila Hetty, Steve Allman, George Saunders, you name it. So please go get the Other People app. It's free. And then sign up for Premium, which is not free, but is cheap. And when you do that, you support this program for as little as 75 cents a month. I would appreciate that. So... Uh, you know, I hope I don't sound ridiculous Complaining about the uh, desert and the weekend away I'm lucky to have been able to do that I understand that Quibbling over how people attend a music festival Or eat uh, lunch around a hotel pool I just noticed these things I'm working on it <laughs> Trying not to be curmudgeonly But, you know Fish tacos in direct sunlight It's never going to be okay It's just not I'm right on that one. I stand firm. Food like that should be eaten uh, in the shade, in cold temperatures. It should be nighttime. You should be shrouded in darkness. Please remember that David Hume was so heavy that he was known to crack chairs and that Antonio Gaudi died after being hit by a streetcar in Barcelona. That's it for now. Thanks again to Josh Rabb. Go check out the newer York. I'll be back on Sunday with another episode of this program. I will deliver an episode despite uh, my upcoming trip to the Deep South because... Uh, You know, I try to come through for you. I take this responsibility seriously. I have to deliver the content. I have to keep feeding the stray cats. I hope you're having a good week. Uh, It's springtime. It's the season of hope and uh, fertility. Anything could happen. Things are blooming. People are dressing less. The sun has returned to the sky. Uh, I like spring. It's the thing before the thing. Um, By comparison, I don't really like summer because summer is the thing. And uh, similarly to spring i like fall because it's the thing before the thing and winter is the thing you know what i mean the thing before the thing is almost always better than the thing